Do you think all shows should be legally required to have a cold open? I don't know about legally required. No, I'm calling the FCC right now. (laughs) I just think that a cold open makes everything better. Like, if you have a nice, short and sweet cold open, and then the theme song cuts in, and if the theme song is a banger, you're just like, let's go! You know what I mean? I totally agree. I think that the episodes of Succession that have cold opens are way better. Really builds up the tension. But see, Succession also sometimes has cold opens that are, like, three minutes long, and at the point, that's not a cold open. Like, you want something short and sweet, end on a high note, and then let the theme song carry I think that's the point. The ending on the high note is, like, all that. That I care about this this episode had a really long cold open but it ended with us being like okay Logan on his way to see Matson let's go music starts cutting in it's incredible Listening to Chaos on the Set, a chaotic TV and film review podcast. Today, we are breaking down the season finale and all of season three of Succession. We're also breaking records today. It is the first ever episode of Chaos on the Set where all members of the podcasting party are in the same room. I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, my twin sister, Shreya, who is sitting right next to me. Shreya, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I feel like a lot of times when I hear podcasts and they say we're finally in the same room, it's because of COVID reasons. Um, But this is just a fun sister thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And how did you feel about the season finale of Succession? I absolutely loved it. I remember it premieres on Sundays, which I'm upset that it came out during football season because I like watching Sunday night football. But I told my friend... Uh, I told my roommate after it finished, I'll be right up. I, I just need to talk to my sisters about this episode because it was wild. And then the four of us, we have two other sisters, the four of us were just on the phone for over an hour talking about the finale, talking about the series as a whole. There's just so much to talk about. And I missed m- most of Sunday Night Football, but it was fine because it wasn't that good of a game. <laughs> Let's dive right in. This uh, podcast will not be just covering what we discussed in our finale debrief phone call so Brieta y Parte are two older sisters if you're listening don't worry this will be interesting it's not just <laughs> going to be repeating the same things we talked about on the phone um but we should start off by talking about you know the big jaw droppers that happened in the season finale before we get into the tom of it all because we are siblings uh let's discuss the sibling team up we finally see all three three of the Caroline kids. I'm not trying to exclude Connor. I know he is the eldest son and I respect that. Uh, But um, we've been waiting for this team up for so long and I'm so excited to finally see them get together. How did you feel when they finally teamed up? I absolutely loved it. I Again, I don't know how long that this is actually going to last. I think Roman even makes a comment in the car, uh, like something along the lines of, I can't wait to keep fighting with you guys anymore. Uh, But then he also says something along the lines of, I think we'll make a really good team, which I think is is true. Um, I think that if they were able to not fight with each other, they'd be able to do a really they would be much more competent together. Why do you think um, this was a little bit of a frustration for me, although I understand how storytelling works and. It can't be the case, but a little part of me was like, why couldn't you guys have just decided this in episode two? Episode two of season three when they're all together in Kendall's daughter's room and talking about how they can take over together. And there's a part of you at that point that thinks that they might team up, but then some donuts arrive and Connor decides he's not going to kill dad. And then I believe it's Shiv next, right? Uh, I don't remember. I think the entire the entire episode, Roman is basically saying, I'm just a spy. I'm not going to be here. But I, I understand the frustration. But I think also, narratively, it wouldn't have made sense for them to uh, team up at that point. Really, the only thing that will push them together is knowing that there's no way that any of them will be able to take control of Waystar. Uh, at that time, you know, with having a little hope that it could still be me, they're just inclined to always fight against each other. But now that their father is selling it out from any of them, I think that really is the only thing that could have brought them together. So, I mean, should we make some long-term bets right now? What are we thinking? Episode two of season four? Episode one of season four when they break up this team? Or do we think that, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that they'll be together very long for sure. I think that uh, maybe they won't be fighting over control of this company. I think that kind of depends on, and we can maybe get into predicting later on, but I think the question just becomes, is this going to take up, pick up right after, uh, right after season three, kind of like season three picked up right after season two, literally moments after it ended? Um, Or are we going to get a little bit of a flash forward? Because... um, that would that would affect things a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how time passes on the show in general. Right? Season three is literally right after season two ends. Season two picks up two days after season one. So not much time passes. And then in the middle of season, sometimes so much time passes. You know, the pacings of the season is like the early season three episodes was basically like season three, episode one and season three, episode two, I think was maybe two days total, or maybe one day and one night, you know, with all Lisa Arthur had to go from meeting with Shiv to meeting with Kendall. So that's a couple days I guess but in general you know the pacing is going back and forth pretty often so if we're talking about this finale I think the biggest scene uh, that we need to talk about is Kendall's confession scene Uh, by big I definitely mean of importance but also I think the length of the scene was fairly long. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's something I, I really admire about Succession. Uh, a lot of other TV shows, I think, cut away from scenes without letting them have time to breathe. And this scene, you know, should be long, uh, should have time for each of these characters to take in this huge news that their brother has committed vehicular manslaughter. Um, yeah, any any thoughts on that scene, Shruti? I mean, I was floored, you know, I I could not take my eyes off of the screen. I, I normally have a live chat going during succession episodes because I love appointment viewing and I want to, you know, be experiencing it with as many people as possible. But I could not look at anything but my TV screen when that was happening because, I mean, Jeremy Strong's performance and the way it was blocked, I know, um, I think Jesse Armstrong has done an interview about how Jeremy Strong and initially was going to sit uh, in a different area, but he decided to sit, you know, in the sand on the, you know, ground of Italy. And so it just changes how everyone else is kind of moving around him, especially, dear God, Shiv, wearing heels and that tight dress and squatting down to try and comfort him. I mean, I love my siblings more than Shiv loves Kendall, I think. But Shreya, I don't know if I would squat that long in heels to comfort you. Oh, I'm sure you would. You're a much better sister than Shiv Roy. I, I mean, can't do that. I wouldn't wear heels in the first place, so I guess we're good then. That that does bring up a, a great point, though. Uh, Emily Vanderwerf, a critic for Vox, wrote an article about the season three finale called Nothing Changed and Everything Changed in Succession's third season. This is about a, a lot of different, she covers a lot of different topics in this article, but I think one of the most profound things she talked about is the blocking of that scene and how when Roman and Shiv are more emotionally engaged with Kendall, they're have to physically get on the ground with him because Jeremy Strong made this decision to sit on the ground. And when they're more engaged in their father's business endeavors, they stand up and physically distance themselves, right? Shiv is, as you said, crouching down, comforting him uh, in her dress. And then she decides, you know, she has to take this call from Laird and she physically stands up and walks away. And then we see Roman you know, say, okay, like, leave me here with the emotions. And he not only crouches, but he sits down next to him. And I think that at that point is the first time Kendall actually feels any solace, right? He says, it's lonely here, I'm all apart. But now having his brother literally on the ground, getting his pants caked in clay, you know, I think that Kendall doesn't, I hope he doesn't feel better about what he did, but I think he feels less alone. And that having that physical image of Roman on the ground next to him, I think was very powerful. I mean, and and also, I mean, I think he does feel a slightly better about what he did when he gets into the car with Shiv and uh, Roman to go and confront their dad. He, like, gives the driver or the man opening the door a bit of a shoulder touch, almost as, like, oh, you know, me and the service industry are cool now, <laughs> as, as if, you know, he's absolved. I don't think he feels absolved, but I think it is interesting that the thing that takes him out of this funk is getting back into the business, into the fight to who will be CEO. It's so sad and so disturbing. But, like, even when 
before the confession, you know, when Kendall it is just there and Shiv is trying to figure out what to do. And he says, like, I don't want a part of this. I don't want to get into it. And Shiv's first response is like, oh, do you have an angle on Madsen? Because her first thought is not, oh, my brother is hurting. Her first thought is, oh, he has an upper leg and I need to figure out how to go about, you know, using it. Yeah, definitely. The conversation that leads Kendall to be on the ground, I think, is is along those lines when Shiv asks him that question. I think first he sees these waiters or or uh, people who are working the wedding coming to take the trash out, glancing at them. He has like some sort of reaction and asks his siblings to keep him out of it, just handle the situation on their own. That results in Shiv asking him if he has an angle. And then he kind of starts laugh crying. I think mostly laughing at this point. Um, but that is what really brings him to the ground. I think recognizing how much he has tried and failed and now he feels like he has nothing. It it brings us to the question of, right, the season three, episode eight ended with a bit of a cliffhanger on whether Kendall's character was dead or not. He The episode ends with him face down in a pool um, and he, you know, he might potentially drown to death. And then, you know, the week afterwards was filled with people speculating whether he was alive or dead. One of my favorite tweets that came out of the finale was uh, from Caroline Framkel. I think she works at Vanity... Oh, sorry, sorry, she works at Variety, not Vanity Fair. Common mistake if anyone is following the Spider-Man so discourse. So she's not the one that's writing the article on Kendall. No. <laughs> uh, but she said, uh, why kill someone off if you can just kill their spirit? Which is a very interesting question, right? Because most of the people that thought Kendall was dead going into the finale were like... Kendall's arc is done. Where is he going to go from here? And now Jesse Armstrong has said, oh, here are all of the different places he can go, you know? And it's kind of like every time he ends a season, right? The end of season one, after the vehicular manslaughter, you're like, where do you go from here? And the end of season two, with that big announcement, you're like, where do you go from here? And now it's really like, where does Kendall go from here? Every season, you know, it's that question. The door is so wide open. I think honestly what, the question is, where do any of the Roy children go from here? I I agree that most of the discourse about why he was dead at the end of episode eight was simply because where does his character go? Um, which I now am thinking, where do any of these characters go? And I think the fact that you framed it as Jesse Armstrong, you know, led Kendall to have all these opportunities now, I think the truth of the matter is, we are so confused about how, what the next steps any of the children will take now that it doesn't matter that we feel like Kendall is in a position where we don't really know what to do with his character because we're not really sure what's going to happen with any characters. So the world is just so open to, to what is going to happen to these children. Do you think that the season uh, penultimate episode cliffhanger felt a little, I don't want to say cheap, but... I was a little frustrated because I always felt like, you know, Succession is kind of not the show to end on these cliffhangers. But then I understand how um, hypocritical I sound as somebody that runs a Succession betting series about predicting what could happen. You know, we need cliffhangers like this to keep the betting series going. Uh, But it just felt like I was just like, this isn't. This isn't what Succession does, you know. I mean, Succession does have a great track record of – if they are hiding something, they'll reveal it within that same episode. I think uh, Joanna Robinson was saying that on uh, her Succession podcast on Prestige TV's podcast that like, you know, this Tom thing is hidden, but the twist comes at the end of the episode. You know, you're not going to be like Tom was working behind the scenes the whole time or anything like that. Yeah, that's a great point. You're basically begging me to quote from Emily Vanderwerf again, one of my favorite critics. After episode eight came out, she wrote another beautiful article about the episode uh, and talked a lot about whether Kendall was dead or alive. Um, She cited to The Sopranos, so Shruti can't currently read the article because she's still watching The Sopranos, but I'll quote a piece that doesn't include any Sopranos spoilers where she says, Unlike The Sopranos, which was steeped in Catholic dread, Succession is not a particularly religious show, but submersion and emergence from water is a potent symbol of rebirth in a lot of different religious traditions. You might know it as baptism within the Christian tradition. Don't think of of Chiantishire's final shot as a simple binary between life and death. Think of it instead as a character on the precipice of a moment where everything might change. 
I think. Oh, wait, I think it might be Chianti Shire. If Mike listens to this, I, Mike doesn't watch Succession. Never mind. He's a big wine snob, so I don't want him to yell at me. <laughs> I do not know how to pronounce the name of the episode, but I do think that is a really good point. I normally would absolutely agree, right? The question, is this character dead or alive, is not an interesting thing to ponder in on its own. That's not good storytelling. But the fact of the matter is Kendall has been emotionally dead for so long. And because of that, leading us, leaving us with this final shot allows us for a week to process the fact that this character is kind of emotionally and spiritually dead right now. You know, he doesn't feel connected to anything. So having us for a week be like, is he dead or, or alive? I don't think was the point. Maybe so much as to be like, this character right now is both dead or alive. What is going to happen to him? Where do we see him going forward? That is really interesting. I also, I feel like I saw, I heard a Mar- Mark Malloy, one of the producers of the show interview, where he said um, that they wanted, you know, this episode and the penultimate episode to be kind of a two-parter. So I don't know if they really wanted it to be a cliffhanger. I mean, like, the season three promo that HBO released before uh, the show even started has footage of Kendall and with his shaved haircut and Connor at the wedding. So any any fan that really wanted to, you know, figure out whether if he was dead or alive could easily deduce that he was alive unless they cut that footage out. But again, like this isn't the MCU, you know, this isn't a show where we pour over trailers and say, oh, Andrew Garfield is here and he's been cut out of the trail, you know, so I don't want to make it into something like that. I just think uh, it's a very interesting point. I mean, Andy Greenwald said on The Watch that um, showrunners create previously ons and uh, the promo team for the network creates the on the next time. So I'm assuming Jesse Armstrong. I always get Jesse Armstrong and Jeremy Strong mixed up. So (laughs) hopefully I haven't made that mistake previously. But um, Jesse Armstrong probably had no say in the fact that, you know, there's no Kendall footage in the on the next time preview for the finale. Um, I mean, maybe he did. I I don't want to I don't want to prognosticate too much, but I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't trying to do this whole ooh cliffhanger. I guess you'll have to tune in next week to find out, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, regardless, at the end of the day, that shot from below the swimming pool is absolutely gorgeous and if we have to think about whether he's dead or alive for a week i'll give it to them to just be able to have that ingrained in my mind for a week well the other funny thing is uh shrey and i watched that episode together and you know that episode before this cliffhanger has the one of the most i've ever screamed watching succession with roman accidentally sending his father a dick pic and I was just kind of like, you could end on that and it would be a banger of an episode, you know? So then to include this one final scene where there's like one line of dialogue with, with Iverson telling Kendall he's going inside, you know, and then it just ends. I was like, what's going on here? But yeah, I think that there's just two starkly different themes there, right? And that kind of brings us back to this scene of Kendall's confession where he is sobbing on the ground. His soul is literally torn up. And his brother is making jokes about him being unable to get a gin and tonic at Shiv's wedding. And the fact that Kieran Culkin and Jeremy Strong can bring such different performances to the show, I think, elevates it to another level. Uh, Speaking of other people's tweets and other people's ideas, um, a a tweeter (laughs) named Noah Bombeck Bornexo. tweeted uh succession wouldn't be nearly as good if jeremy strong knew it was a comedy thank you for coming to my ted talk and that is absolutely accurate you know the fact that we can have these hilarious moments with roman sending his father a dick pic and also have moments where kendall is you know submerging his face into the water back to back is an incredible thing One, I think the chief complaint that some people have with this season is that nothing has really changed and the characters are kind of going in circles. But I think something we've talked about is that people don't tend to change, you know? It's actually quite difficult for 
a person to change their personality or the way they act. There's that quote from House MD, dying changes, <laughs> almost dying changes nothing, dying changes everything. Um, and I think it makes sense that we see a lot of stagnation within these characters. But I think that also there has been a good amount of growth. Um, and I think it would be interesting to talk through how each of these characters has changed from the beginning of the series to where we see them now. Yeah, sure. You want to kick things off with Roman, the child of the season, as some people think. <laughs> yeah, not the eldest, the youngest child. The, the Roman is uh, the Shruti of, oh, the, of the group. God, that's the rudest <laughs> thing anyone has ever said to me. <laughs> um, does that make me shiv? Or is Shiv older than? No, Shiv is younger. There's there's some discussion on who's older, Shiv or um, Roman, but plot twist: they're twins. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, Shruti and I are two sisters of a group of four sisters. Um, none of us are like any of the Roy siblings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So let let's talk through what we've seen happen to Roman over the course of this series. I think one interesting thing we find out in the season finale is that. When they were children, Roman went, they had a decision to all go squirt their fathers with uh, water pistols. And then Kendall and Shiv left and left Roman alone to, to squirt their father, which take that, take with that what you will. Uh, we know that. Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> at the in at when they were children, they were all going to go attack their father with water pistols. I don't remember this at all. Can you give a quick recap? It's so funny that you say that because in the in their so this is when they're going to approach their father. They're mm-hmm. at in the car. No, they're outside of the car. Okay. They're walking towards the house, and Shiv gives Roman trouble as she should because I was terrified that Roman was going to bail out. So I'm not saying that Shiv shouldn't have pushed back to make sure that Roman was going to hold true, but. Then Roman says something along the lines of, yeah, you sure this isn't going to be like you guys in the water pistols when there were children. They all had a plan to go shoot their father with water guns and then Kendall and Shiv bail and leave Roman alone to squirt them. Shiv responds to that. I have no recollection of that. And Roman says that's convenient. And we see kind of patterns of this throughout the show. Wait, right? did, did Roman end up squirting his dad with a water pistol? I mean, I guess we don't know. I think, you know, Something we would have to question is, does he end up, you know, squirting his father and then his father, you know, has we know he has a history of of physically assaulting Roman in season two. We see him hit him. I wouldn't be surprised if he sees his son squirt him with water and reacts violently. I don't think that's out of character for Logan. And I think that feeds into the, the physical abuse we've seen Roman take. You know, outside of this, like within things we've actually seen on the show, we see in season one that he does actively conspire against his father. You know, he he's the he gets Lawrence to vote against him in the vote of no confidence, which Lawrence doesn't end up doing and neither does Roman. But he is actively conspiring against him and then ends up not being able to stand up against him. And then at the end of season three here, when it's just one on one, Logan says, you know, take this boy out and. Roman holds strong and says, no, like, it'd be better if we all hear and doesn't lead Kendall out of the room. I think the lack of memory thing that you brought up is really interesting because also in season one, you see Roman telling people that Kendall would lock him up in a dog cage and play this game. And Kendall's like, what are you talking about, you weirdo? So I feel like Roman really has clings to a lot of memories in childhood maybe more than the other kids or maybe we've just seen him talk about it more even like in the beginning of this season you know he's asked to tell a story about his dad and he has to make up a story switching Connor out for Logan and saying his dad took him fishing um so I think Roman is thinking more about his child and his past more than the other kids or at least um maybe he just felt more alienated during that and that's why he acts the way he does now yeah, absolutely. We have this quote from Connor in season one where they talk about that dog cage scene um, and Kendall asks Connor about it and Connor tells him, yeah, you were into it too. You you wanted to lock him in there. Uh, and then eventually he says something along the lines of that's why Logan sent Ken. Uh, that's why Logan sent Roman away. You know, you send the weak one away. He says you send the weak one away. And it seems to be the case, maybe, that growing up, you know, Kendall was at home with his family and Logan, I mean, Roman maybe went to 
a boys' school or something. And now in season three is the first time he's really getting attention. You know, Connor's never really been in this. Shiv had her chance last season. Kendall could never be more out of the running for <laughs> for leading Waystar Royco. And he finally thinks he has an opportunity and he turns into a total monster. You know, the things he says to Shiv and Kendall at Kendall's birthday party, the fact that he physically pushes his brother at his 40th birthday party are shocking. But at the same time, not so surprising if we know that this is the first time this child who has been abused and mistreated growing up his whole life finally is seen as his father's son and really capitalizing on that. And then he walks away from the birthday party, calling his dad, saying, I did this great thing. You're going to love me, having absolutely no remorse. Calling his dad on a phone that may or may not have been peed on. So <laughs> Yes, great point. Uh, so so what do we think? Why do we think that he was able to stand up to Logan at the end of season three when he couldn't in season one, episode six? I think that um, Roman has felt this sense of, oh, this is my shot, you know, because he is the favorite child of the season. But when he gets sent away from Matson in this finale, that's when he kind of already knows that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be it, right? If he was there for the deal, maybe things would have been different or if he stayed at Matson's for a little bit longer. But that coupled with, um, you know, on the way to Matson's, Logan and Ro- Roman have a conversation about um, Roman's sexual, um, I don't want to call them issues, but desires. desires um, and <laughs> Logan literally says, like, starts talking about his own sex life and about how he's beautiful, his assistant is so beautiful. And, like, that whole combination and Logan saying, like, get yourself checked out. Like, he's he's disgusted by his son, which is really, really upsetting. But um, I think all of that coupled together makes Roman realize, okay, I'm not really in my dad's favor. And now that I'm, you know, with my siblings in this one thing, I, I have to stick on this side. And I also think Kendall, I mean, Roman... After he votes against Kendall in the vote of no confidence in season one, he does seem to have a lot a lot of guilt. And uh, when they're all in their family therapy thing and Kendall is in the area and doing drugs, Roman's like, send me a pin. Let me come and check up on you, you know. So Roman, I don't know if that was an act of remorse or an act of love, because now in season three, he seems to just be an evil villain. Yeah, I think the 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 turn to villainy is just him thinking he has a shot and when he realizes he doesn't have a shot he gets back a a shred of compassion something uh i heard um on i think it was slate money they were talking about kieran culkin's acting and they mentioned uh children are really awkward growing up they you know can't sit in a chair right and that's because they're legs don't hit the ground so it's difficult for them to find a comfortable position to be able to sit in a chair but that's how Kieran Culkin is always right acting as Roman he constantly feels uncomfortable in his skin I mean the unbelievable acting after he sends his father the dick pic and he's literally a ball of himself he like looks up at his father with those eyes and then quickly looks away I think the physical ways in which Kieran Culkin moves his body to just be go from I'm I'm confident I'm walking down the street after my brother's birthday party who I just pushed and I have my shoulders big and I'm walking tall towards literally being hunched into himself and then even like in the finale when he has to stand up to his dad and he looks like he's in physical pain like to say no and stay on Logan and Shiv's side when or sorry Kendall and Shiv's side you know Logan is like you know, Matson likes you, you'll be fine. And there's a moment when all of us in the audience are like, Roman, don't don't squeal, don't squeal. And and that's because you literally see Kieran Culkin in physical pain from having to stand up to his father, which um, remarkable feat for Kieran Culkin and remarkable feat for the show to have, you know, all of these breadcrumbs sprinkled throughout these all three seasons. So we know exactly how difficult this is, this decision is for Roman to make. Okay, should we move on to Shiv's arc? Yeah, almost. I just want to quote Emily Vanderwerf one more time. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> she wrote another incredible article. She doesn't write bad articles. <laughs> um, called The Four Fs of Trauma Response and the Four Roy Kids of Succession. This was following the retired janitors of Idaho. Is that the name of the Yeah, episode? the shareholders meeting The episode? shareholders meeting episode where she talks about how each of the children react differently to abuse. And, you know, we know flight – she describes the four – 
the four F's of trauma and stress response as flight, fight, freeze, and fawn, and the one she associates with Roman is fawn. Oh, sorry. The one she associates with Roman is freeze. I think that the wide shots that succession goes to really lets us see these instances of the freezing more than anything. You know, in the scene where Shiv hands um, Logan a glass of champagne to try to toast and Logan is yelling at her, we can see uh, can we can see Roman in the background literally hunched over himself again, awkward in his skin. And it could be telling of, you know, when uh, when he knows that his father is going to lash out, he knows that he has been the target of abuse in the past. And the only way to cope with it is to freeze and just not be there and not attract any attention to himself. That movement he makes also reminds me uh, in episode two or I think it's episode three of season three when Shiv uh, writes up that draft of a letter that she's going to tweet about, you know, my brother is unwell, please leave him alone. And she wants Connor and Roman to sign on to it. And they're like, absolutely not. Um, But Roman, again, looks in physical pain reading that letter, which, um, you know, makes me think that he does genuinely love his brother, that he doesn't want to release something that could be so hurtful to him. So, you know, I I love it even when even when it's guised through an act of uh, violence. You know, this letter is is a rude thing, but it's it's a little morsel of love within the siblings, which is what I'm always looking for. Okay, we can we can finally move on to your girlfriend, Chivroy. Are you still okay calling her your girlfriend? She's pretty awful. Uh, yeah, she is pretty awful, but I can make her better. <laughs> you know, I think that we really see this season how much Shiv has been hurt by her mother. You know, the I'm you're, you're my onion, I'm your onion um, conversation that they have at the wedding about how they both hurt each other so much is so haunting because... Caroline seems to still resent her daughter for making a decision to go to her father when she was 13. And she says, like, oh, no, I was 10. And Caroline's response is, no, you were 13. As if, like, oh, it's okay to judge a 13-year-old for making this decision when, like, they don't know anything. You know, they're still learning about the world. Um, But this motherhood that Caroline has inflicted on her of uh, – pure terribleness has has really seemed to color both her marriage with Tom and and her outlook on the world. Yeah, that conversation with her mother is so awful, but so telling about why Shiv has become the person that she is. Uh, In that conversation, Caroline says that she wishes she didn't have children, but couldn't get dogs because Logan would just kick anything just to see if it would come back. And that's what Shiv does immediately after she goes to Tom and kicks him and says something horrible just to see if he will still love her and be there for her. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. way out of your fucking league. Oh, you think so? Yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah. But that's why you want me. That's why... Maybe. You love me. Fuck you. Even though I don't love you. And he says, no, I will not be there for you anymore. <laughs> She she truly yeah she truly is just using him to have to to feel love. It seems like the only reason that she wants to have children is to show that she could do it better than her mother, you know. And that really comes to a head in the toast that Shiv makes at Caroline's wedding, where she wishes that their marriage will be as fulfilling and rewarding as her marriage with Tom. And I think that is really the nail in the coffin for saying that you know this marriage is not fulfilling. You do not want to have a children with the child with this man. You don't love this man. Um, but yet she needs to cling on to these things. I know after we watched Too Much Birthday um, and we see that scene at as they're leaving and Tom says like, oh, do you want to go out? I might be up for a while. And Shiv's face is just, she kind of rolls her eyes or like puts her uh, fingers to her temple. And it is just so clear that these two people, or at least Shiv is not in love with this man, but needs him uh, to feel powerful. What I would give for a 10-episode miniseries of Shiv and Tom first meeting and dating. Oh, my God. <laughs> you have no idea. Do you think, though, that Caroline, um, when she sa- when Shiv says the wedding toast, like, I hope your marriage is as fulfilling as mine, do you think Caroline took that as a slight or took that as a sweet comment in the toast? I don't think Caroline thinks anything that Shiv would say is, is sweet. They do. There's not... I don't think there's a shred of love in their relationship, to be honest. Um, 
you know, I don't think Caroline really loves any of her children. Um, when when in season two, Kendall is trying to confess this this deed that he did to his mother, she just leaves a note for him, you know. And I think that there is something to be argued that her making this deal with Logan to uh, get them out of the holding company, holding company um, could be better for them, you know, that they no longer are a part of Waystar and are no longer in this toxic environment. But that's not why she did it. I don't think she has any love for these children. Um, I mean, it gets back to what both parents, both parents use their children as tokens to win, right? Logan, when they first got divorced, used, um, you know, used having those three kids as uh, winning the divorce. They came with Logan instead of going with Caroline. Um, And then... In this most recent episode, he now uses the children again or uses Caroline to win again. Absolutely. And in season two, also, we see that they made a deal where Logan can get some piece of property back if Caroline can have the children for Christmas, which is kind of a ridiculous notion to have your adult children for for Christmas. But it's just this uh, reminder that these children to Logan and Caroline are just pieces of property. They're items on a negotiation sheet to decide who has ownership of them and they don't see them as humans. Um, you know, I, I realized that we we started this conversation we're trying to talk about Shiv's arc um, and we haven't, I don't know if we've really discussed that fully. Um, I know in season one, you know, she's not part of the company. She's trying to work on a political campaign. It seems like at the beginning of season two, she purposefully self-sabotages. Seems like she tries to get herself kicked out of a car by Gil Evis just so that she can fully engross herself into Waystar. Um, and she does. You know, she wants this job so badly without being part of it. And it seems like the only reason she hasn't attempted to become the head of Waystar Royco in the past is because she just didn't think it was a possibility. And she will say no before her father can tell her no. Well, okay, I actually think that's interesting because, yeah, season one Shiv is not working for Waystar at all, right? And we have this whole running uh, theory that, like, Logan wants to own his kids, even when Kendall is like, okay, I'm taking your cash out, I want to leave. Logan's like, nope, I'm not allowing it. Uh, You have to stay around all this time. Which, so why do you think, do you think it's just now the showrunners have, have, um been really committed to this thesis to keep it going but in season one when Shiv wasn't working for Waystar that that wasn't a thesis they were going for or is there some other reason that Shiv you know Shiv was on the outside for a very long time until the end of season one we assume you know Kendall's what turning 40 so if Shiv is 35 most of her years you know a big chunk of her life has been not working for Waystar so how how then is Logan quote-unquote owning Shiv I think that's why he brings her in because he doesn't feel like he's owning her. And that's why he makes her this offer that you will take over the company only to bring her in. I don't know that for a single second Logan actually has planned on giving this company to Shiv Roy when he says he will in season two, episode one or episode two, whenever that is. Um, it's the premiere. The Summer Palace. But he just decides that this is what I have to do in order to bring her in Um because in at the end of season one, you know, at one point he tries to bring her in, especially with Gil Evis attacking him so much. And Shiv says, no, like you tried Kendall, you tried Roman. Now you're trying me like that's not how it works. And it's not without this offer to be the CEO in season two, episode one, that she actually comes into the fold. I think really in season one, she seems so competent and like such a badass, you know, and she's winning all of these deals. She got her candidate elected. It seems like she is really controlling Gil's campaign as well. In season two, it kind of starts to slip away a little bit. And I think the closer she is to Logan, the more incompetent she gets. You know, she just becomes so preoccupied with having this job that she becomes unable to actually, you know, do the job or like act intelligently yeah no that was the most for me the most heartbreaking thing about this season like everyone is saying you know Shiv is evil oh Shruti why do you love her etc etc and I'm like watching her be 
uh, evil bad is not what hurts me. Watching her be dumb bad is what hurts me when she's like having that conversation with Jerry after the dick pic situation and is basically, you know, trying to leverage herself higher. But you're like, Shiv, you're so bad at this. Like Jerry is seeing right through you. And that's what causes me the most physical pain is watching Shiv be so incompetent and bad at her job. (laughs) Yeah, that I mean, she definitely in this season, we do see that she is not as skilled as we originally thought, which I think is important for us uh, to understand that none of these children really would be a good CEO of Waystar Royco. So I think at the end of the day, we see that like Logan maybe made the right decision. Matson will definitely be better, a better CEO than the three of them. And we see Shiv's journey throughout this is she's just trying so hard to uh, become the CEO and because she has you know some street smarts she thinks she can just do it uh, there's that interaction between her and Roman before the first deal with Matson, um, the first meeting with Matson, the one that he doesn't actually show up to in Waystar's office where Roman says that he's been you know up all night trying to like work out the numbers and Shiv hasn't thought anything of that and I think we are realizing more this season that Shiv doesn't have the degree of competence that we originally thought and she does actually have to put some work in to kind of develop herself beyond, you know, just being really good at political campaigns and having a great name. I do want to say um, <laughs> she does save the day at the shareholders That's meeting. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> no, and I think, I, so I think Shiv does have some skills. I think that really requires her being away from her father. The closer and closer she is to Logan, the more she flounders and kind of, even uh, so in that scene, in that interaction with little Sandy, you know, her father is is preoccupied, <laughs> you know, not with able to UTI. be is not able to be there. But even in her interaction with Jerry, because she's doing it for her father, you know, her interaction with Sandy is not for her father. Her father doesn't want it to happen or we don't know what he wants, at least. Her interaction with Jerry is truly just to become closer to f- her father and she can't do it. She can't both is being an evil human being and also is being bad at achieving the ends she wants to because I think the idea of the throne and the idea of her father's approval gets in her head and she ends up just being bad at her job. Next kid? (laughs) Uh, Should we talk about the kid that doesn't exist yet? (laughs) We could talk about the kid that doesn't exist yet. I just want to touch on this really quick. You know, in the season finale, we hear that uh, Logan is trying to have another child. Connor says that he heard or Willa heard that he's putting maca root or something in his smoothies to help increase uh, his ability to. uh... We got it. Yeah. Uh, I I have an interesting idea about this that I think Shruti strongly disagrees with, which I will. So, yes, I think Logan does consider himself kind of immortal, but I also like don't know if Logan actually wants another child. So one idea that I just want to throw out there is that he thinks that these smoothies that he's drinking with Makaru are just for his health. You know, he did just suffer some pretty significant um health issues and his assistant Carrie is handing him these smoothies which he thinks will improve his health what he doesn't know is that his assistant Carrie who he's sleeping with is adding this maca root which will improve his virility or whatever the term is Um, and I think maybe Carrie is just trying to have his child because you know we don't know what's going to happen with Logan once he dies or something happens or if he just decides he's no longer interested in Carrie she's kind of you know done but if she has his child um or like is impregnated by him then she is kind of set for life so maybe she's just adding this makaru in order to get pregnant that that's i mean that's possible i don't see that happening i don't even see i think that if if i think if carrie got pregnant and logan didn't want a child that child would not be born you know like logan gets uh, you know he i'm i'm sure he gets to call all of the shots when it comes to you know his future I don't see Logan wanting a child I don't see Logan living for 18 more years let alone you know 25 for this child to be of like a a, of an age that he could take over or she could take over the company um I think honestly that my theory is this is being added to the smoothie just to like increases health maybe increases like sex drive um but not necessarily to increase um his ability to father another child 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely fair. Uh, should we move on from talking about this y- potential youngest son to the eldest son? <laughs> I as as people know from Game of Thrones days, I love talking about babies that don't exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Connor, I think has his real moment to shine in the season finale where he shouts at his siblings, says that I am the eldest son. Uh, I, I I came away with a couple of takeaways from this. Um, my biggest takeaway is I think we just need more time for Connor. Um, I think he's a really interesting character that hasn't been given enough time to develop. And maybe the next season we will see that because with all of these characters, right, we don't know where they're going to go from here. For the first time in their life, they're, or maybe not for shit, but for the first time in a long time, they can no longer cling to Waystar as their way to get to the top. And Connor, you know, kind of never had that. So he's still kind of on his same path and doesn't need to make a big shift. So maybe we can see more of him next season. That's fair. I just don't want to. (laughs) I think Connor is best used at five minutes an episode. You know, the coat thing from Too Much Birthday or... Um, you know, he's, he's very funny during, uh, Tom's bachelor party and I like him at that level. Even, um, the episode where they go to pick a new president, that was too much Connor for me. Like I like my Connor in small doses and I hope those doses continue to be small. (laughs) Well, speaking of the small dose, I think his outburst at Ken's intervention is very telling. You know, at the end of the day, he's very kind to them. You know, maybe he treats them with more kindness than any other member of their family. There's a lot to say that he was basically their surrogate father when they were growing up. Right. He took them camping. He did all these things for them. I think there's an argument to be made that to an extension he protected them, um, you know, and He's kind to them, and the rest of them are very selfish. Like, he says to Kendall, you're an incredibly selfish person, and Kendall is an incredibly selfish person. So I think to have this, you know, adult figure tell him this is really important. I don't know that they necessarily respect Connor, so I don't know that this will amount to anything, but he's absolutely right that he's kind and the rest of them are awful to him. One other thing I wanted to to say about this outburst is, you know, he's shouting, I'm the eldest son, I'm the eldest son. And us in the audience are like, okay, yeah, (laughs) chill. (laughs) But I think that it's making a good point in that, like, he, he, I think at one point even says, like, I'm the eldest son, I would take over Waystar Royco. So I don't know if he legitimately believes that, you know, he could actually at one point take over the company having no idea how to do anything. I mean, he believes he can be president, so... (laughs) But I think that's telling, you know, because Kendall, Roman, and Shiv, I think we now see, are also not in any position to be able to take over the company. Um, They should not be CEO of Waystar Royco. Maybe to a lesser extent than Connor. I do think that they would be better CEOs than Connor Roy. But he's hinting at how irrational it is, right? I'm the eldest son, I will take over, is just slightly more rational than I am a son or daughter of Logan Roy, I'm going to take over, when none of them actually has the abilities to be able to be CEO. And him shouting these things at them kind of highlights, yeah, they're all kind of delusional for thinking, I'm a child, like, I'm going to take over the company. No, you're not. Like, you have to learn how to do something. Make your own pile. One character that no one can say didn't change at all since the beginning of the series is Greg Hirsch. I feel like Greg was next level stupid this season. Like, I think they maybe made him too. Like, I was rewatching The Good Place last night, and I feel like Jason Mendoza is smarter than Greg sometimes. I don't. What? What? What did he do that stupid? <laughs> like, like when in the beginning of the season when he like is asking his friend in law school for legal advice, like, what would you do? Like. Greg, come on. Okay, so let's track his arc. Season one, episode one, he is throwing up (laughs) in a cartoon costume of one of the Waystar characters. In season three, episode nine, he might become the king of Luxembourg. Like, okay, de- do you think he is? Like, he's no. I don't think. I don't think he actually stands a chance with the Contessa. And, and I think Humphrey's great, <laughs> but I think the point is that he's come from literally nothing, and he is so out of his element. You know, I, I think that like he's come from literally nothing, and now he's so out of his element to 
be in a position where he might go to jail for just doing as he was told. You know, he doesn't know what is going on. He's just been thrown into this family. But the thing is, he loves it, you know? And I think that is, like, the biggest step we can see in his arc is actually at the end of season two, where he decides not to take the payout from Ewan and instead decides to stay within the company. And he definitely would have more money if he inherited Ewan's inheritance. But it's not about the money for him, just like it's not about the money for the rest of the characters at this point. He's addicted to the power and he's addicted to being in the inner circle. The way his eyes light up when Tom says to him, you can be at the bottom of the top. He's absolutely thrilled about the idea of just being closer to the action. Yeah, which I I wish that, you know, Greg stayed with his grandfather's lawyer, honestly. But if he's going to sue Greenpeace and go to the bottom of the top, I, I, he he can leverage well. You know, I, I love the moment in the season one finale uh, where he kind of tells Kendall that he has these papers or like signals to Kendall that it'd be good to keep him in his good graces. And Kendall's like, wow, Greg, you Machiavellian piece of shit. You know, you <laughs> you have something in you. So he can be smart. I just feel like sometimes he's just so incompetent. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, should, we, should we end it off by talking about his hopefully future boyfriend, Greg? I mean, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do Tom. If, uh, if season four of Succession doesn't, include a kiss between these characters you know i'm calling bullshit well so matthew mcfadden gave an interview they asked him about the homoerotic tension between greg and tom and he's like oh you know some people will uh he said he said it's fascinating what people project onto tom and greg they have a symbolic relationship they need each other but he was kind of pushing back on any kind of love story between them which mm, i don't know maybe maybe that'll be explored more but it is interesting to know that matthew mcfadden apologies for pronouncing that wrong uh, does not read that when he's acting it. Even with the Spora story, he doesn't think it's romantic. <laughs> I mean, nothing screams romance like that Spora story. I mean, yeah, I, I, just just as a reminder, you know, in earlier in the season, Tom tells Greg the story of Nero and how he pushes his wife down the stairs and then castrates and marries uh, Sporus instead. Uh, and quite literally, we see Tom you know, get this call from Shiv and then he talks to Greg and asks him to come along with him before he decides to betray Shiv and side with Logan. And in the conversation with Greg, he says to him, do you want to come with me, Sporus? Literally referring to the story of Nero once again and deciding that Shiv doesn't love him and you know, Greg will maybe be on his team, and that is enough. He doesn't need Shiv if he has Greg, and then he decides to betray his wife and and side with her father. I do you so I think that this was a decision that Tom made really this episode. I don't think this is something that has been premeditated for a really long time. But I again, I'm just so fascinated with Tom and Shiv's relationship because when Tom goes to the diner with Kendall, he keeps repeating, oh, I fell in love with your sister. That's why I'm here. I'm in love with your sister. And I'm like, are you though? Like, are you in love with her? Um, But I, I don't know, that read of it, I, I do buy it just because like at the end of the day, Kendall doesn't really care if Tom loves Shiv, you know? Um, But it's interesting that in that moment, he refuses to go against uh, Logan and help Kendall because Shiv would never look at him the same way. How how do I face Shiv and how do I betray her? You know, that's his rationale and why he won't help Kendall also because he's never seen Logan get fucked. So now when Shiv is saying, I'm going to go against Logan, he's tying himself to Logan because, again, he knows he's never seen Logan get fucked. Um, and so this is the way to the success. But it is a direct it is a direct betrayal of Shiv and he's so against betraying Shiv before. Why is he okay betraying Shiv now? I I I agree. I think that he did make the decision in this episode. Um I think it was Joanna Robinson was saying on the Prestige TV podcast that she thinks that uh Tom does still love Shiv. And I absolutely agree. Just because relationships are complicated and you don't fall out of love with someone you just married, you know, less than a year ago at this point, right? It's been less than a year. Probably. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there is part of him, and I think I'm stealing this directly from Joanna at this point, but there is part of him that thinks that this is the person that Shiv can love, right? Like the kind of person who's going to do what it takes in order to get closer to the top. And, uh, 
while he is directly betraying his wife, like this is the kind of person that she could love and he's becoming that person. So I don't think that he could so easily, you know, just fall out of love with someone. Um, And I think that he does still have those complicated feelings. But I think he loves Greg. <laughs> like, I, I'm i always on the other side of this. Um, Matt actually made a comment that I'm switching teams because I'm very anti-Bucky uh, and Cap having a romantic relationship because I think r- non-romantic love is more important or equally important to romantic love. And I don't like that, you know, in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, people say, oh, they were, like, definitely romantically involved. And I think that's really troublesome because i think you can do all of these things that sam and bucky sorry cap and bucky do for each other what's his name steve and bucky do for each other um just because you he's on the moon shreya uh just because you really love a friend and i don't like the fact that you have to create change the story of a beautiful love story that isn't about a romantic love into romantic love that being said this is romantic love like the interactions between I don't Tom think- and Greg. Um, you know, she, he he, re- rece- he recalls him Sporus and he kisses him on the head and he hugs him and they better kiss next season. <laughs> I don't think there's any romantic love in this show. I think all love is a form of ownership and Tom loves that he owns Greg just the same way that the parents love that they own their kids and Shiv loves that he owns she owns Tom. She thinks that she can manipulate and use Tom until this moment when she can't. You know, it's interesting to track Tom and Shiv's relationship arc because in the season two finale, Tom says, I wonder if the happy I would be without or I wonder if the sad I would be without you would be better than the sad I am with you basically implying that he kind of wants to leave and so in the beginning of season three there's a lot of Shiv telling Tom you know I love you or are we okay and she's kind of trying to make sure the relationship is patched up more than Tom is and then as the season goes on Shiv goes back to her regular abusive behavior and starts to push Tom away again to the point where in this season three finale He's gone. Yeah, I think that honestly, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I never thought about it that way. Okay, back to anti-romantic love. You did it. <laughs> um, I do want to mention that they shot the season, the final shot of the season, a couple different ways. You know, they shot it one way where Sarah Snook Shiv picks up on the fact that Tom betrayed her. They shot it one way where Kendall picks up on it, and then they shot in a way where she doesn't pick up on it. And Sarah Snook didn't even know which one they were going with. So, um. It kind of gives you a little bit uh, of a peek into the mindset of where they're going to go from here. I do wonder, will Shiv even tell Tom that she knows in in the, se- in the season four? Or um, will she keep that to herself? I don't see it in her to keep it to herself for that long. Like, I feel like she will explode at Tom quite quickly in season four um but uh, maybe she's now learned her lesson and will play her cards closer to her chest yeah i i hope she keeps her cards closer to her chest i think it'll be a way more interesting dynamic with shiv knowing that tom betrayed her but tom not knowing that shiv knows that tom betrayed her they don't know we We know know that they they know know. (laughs) (laughs) while we're talking about lack of romantic love it seems like Marsha has now completely decided that this relationship with logan is transactional she's uh there she shares a like uh dialogue-less scene with carrie where we see them interact do you think Marsha knows that carrie and logan are sleeping together I think she does. Marsha Marsha knows most things. She's very smart. She picks up in season one on the fact that Shiv has done some research into her past um, and says, Shiv, if you want to know something about me, why don't you just ask? Which was such a badass line. You know, her line to Rhea in season two. She's an incredibly competent person. I definitely agree that she's decided that this relationship isn't about romance. In season one, she was talking to Logan about the dynamics of Waystar Royco and was involved in business decisions. Now she, you know, did not know that Logan was planning on n- naming Rhea CEO. She's been pushed out and she doesn't care. She got her son a big payout. She got herself a big payout. Um, good for her. Get that bag. You know, <laughs> Logan is awful. <laughs> and her daughter. Yeah. I guess she has a daughter now. We we, we had a couple um, surprise daughters exist this season. We found out that Jerry has daughters, um, which is something that we didn't know previously. Lots of lots of secret daughters. <laughs> well, on the note of secret daughters. 
Bears. We can wrap things up there. Shreya, thank you so much for joining me on this special bonus episode of Chaos on the Set. Really appreciate your sisterhood and your insight. Would you like to share where people can find more of you on the internet? Uh, I'm not on the internet. <laughs> you can find me at maybe a future episode of Chaos on the Set if this wasn't too awful. You don't want to share your Twitter? No, that's just for me. Okay. <laughs> Mike doesn't Mike doesn't share his Twitter either. You can follow me on Twitter at Micromarate and easily figure out Shreya's Twitter from following me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and you can also follow our show on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chaos on the Set. Please tweet us all of your thoughts on season three of Succession, and we'll see you next season for Logan's daughter being born. <laughs> bum, bum. Boo-do-do-do-do-do-do-do.